Happy Halloween, film ghouls, ghosts, goblins, monsters, and all. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Welcome to my podcast where I dissect movies with fellow film enthusiasts and discuss why we love the medium as much as we do. To celebrate All Hallows' Eve and our 50th episode of Frankly, I Love Movies, Lexi Cutmore has called in to talk about John Carpenter's 1978 horror masterpiece that defined an entire genre, It's Halloween. This is an incredibly special podcast. Why? It's October 31st. It's my favorite holiday. We're talking about one of the greatest horror movies of all time. It's the 50th episode of our podcast, and I couldn't be happier to share it with one of my best friends. Lexi Cutmore is back on the show. How are you today, Lexi? Oh, you know, it's it's a different time we're living in, but I'm still glad that we can celebrate the holiday, at least in this way, you know. Oh, absolutely. Uh, And when we were thinking of movies to do for this segment, uh, The Hollow Thanksmas, we wanted to highlight some that were a little bit unconventional or maybe not ones that you would traditionally go to for the holiday. But, I mean, if we're talking about movies that take place on Halloween, you got to talk about Halloween. This is the one. This is the one. I mean, first of all, it's called Halloween, so can't go wrong there but i i think for most of us it's one of those things where every year you know you're sitting down and you're like what am i gonna watch and this is for me always a go-to oh absolutely me too it's been it's been a go-to every halloween for the past few years now uh and along with the shining and scream uh those are the big three for me every single every single year and they both hit uh the holiday, the Halloween spirit in different ways. And that's kind of what I want to start with here. Halloween, it's, it's been in our lives for so long and it's so well known in the zeitgeist and really is a staple of pop culture. I mean, Michael Myers, everyone knows it's got, he's got the mask, the jumpsuit, the, uh, the butcher knife. It's, it was instantly iconic. And for such a low budget movie, no one could have ever expected that this was going to come uh, and the way it does, and obviously, it spawned so many sequels. Right. Uh, so, so I want to know, and before we talk about that, because I got a lot to say about the franchise as as a whole, <laughs> I want to know what your first um, viewing experience was for this movie. When did you first see it? I. That's a tough question because my mom is very big into. I don't necessarily say like Halloween itself, but all of the things that are associated with it. So. I could have seen this movie, I don't know, like well over 10 years ago. But it's just first experience, it's a tough one. I mean, sitting down and at the time, like I said, I was probably pretty young. So just thinking like, this is terrifying. You know, (laughs) the initial reaction is this is terrifying. It's the music, I think is the big thing. You know, it's not that gory blood everywhere, like constant death after death it's just i'm on edge the whole time because it's dark you know the whole movie is just so dark lighting wise and like i said that shrill 
classic sound that puts mm. you on edge where you're like, where are we going and what are we doing? Yeah. Uh-huh. And they place it at just the right opportune times. Uh, and my, my first time watching it, I honestly don't remember the very first viewing, but I remember when I was a kid, I remember Halloween 2 being on TV a lot. So I remember uh, seeing, I think maybe the last part of the of this of this one the first one Mm -hmm. like when Lori's running from the house and going across the street and trying to get help i remember watching that on tv and i remember seeing her hidden in the closet with the coat hanger but i don't remember when the first full viewing experience was and i think it wasn't until years later because like i said halloween 2 i remember being on tv all the time and i think halloween 2 kind of became the um the uh, the foundation of the like spoof era of horror movies mm-hmm. because Halloween two is great and all but like and that whole like the whole hospital sequence when Lori's running away but that is like the utmost Michael Myers just uh, walking around all slow and whatnot. Um, I think that's what a lot of people associate with Halloween and re- ironically, like you said, it's not the first movie. Mm-hmm. But it's uh, funny that you bring up the um, the closet scene too, because I think that's another one. You know, if you're gonna talk about Halloween, I would imagine that's a scene that the first time you see it is gonna stick in your head. Yeah, I mean, the ending is so iconic, and again, that was what stuck in my head for so long. And then I think it wasn't until, honestly, maybe until like high school or maybe even early college when I actually fully watched the first one all the way through for the first time. And I was just struck by how well made the movie was because I mean, there are some things, some movies in um, pop culture, especially around horror movies where there's the iconic scene. There's the, you know, the big, the big moment and everyone knows the vibe or the, um, the character or whatever. But then sometimes when you go back and you're like, I don't know if this is as good as we, uh, as we say as we say it is but halloween was one where i was like there's so much more that we should be talking about yeah. with this movie and how uh well john carpenter captured uh the atmosphere and the tension of feeling afraid and it but it's also so rewatchable at the same time it's very strange because of how even you know the last time i watched it just a week ago was I, like I was scared. There were some things that popped out of me that I hadn't noticed before. Like where there are some shots when he's in the background that I hadn't noticed. Mm-hmm. Like when um, Annie is in the laundry room and she walks back and forth and he's in the doorway. Like I didn't notice that the first other five times, but each time there's something uh, to attach yourself to. And right. I've seen it like six times now, uh, you know, Halloween, uh, you know, watching it on the holiday. I watched it for a class. Um, I watched it. I actually got to see it in theaters when I was uh, my first semester at Ithaca because um, Fathom Events put it back into theaters. And my friend Brian and I went and no one else was in the theater and we had a fucking blast. It was amazing to see it on the big screen and alone in the darkened theater. Uh, and I don't know, like what is the, like what keeps you coming back to it? Like why is it so rewatchable for you? I think it's sort of like I mentioned earlier, it's a movie that feels like it was made purely for the love of Halloween itself, you know, the love of horror films and, you know, keeping the audience on their toes. Whereas since, 
you know, this Halloween kind of established where movies were going to go. I think we've certain, like kind of lost track of what the core values are. You know, like you said, those certain shots where you might not have noticed it the first time, but the next time you go around, you're like, oh, he's there. He's in the background. That's terrifying. Whereas you get, you know, later into movies, um, not necessarily like the older ones, but the new like Saw movies, for example, where it's like, why am I watching this? What is this pointless blood and gore? Like, There's nothing here that compels me to say, okay, I'm going to watch it again. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, horror has definitely taken some interesting turns in the past um, like 20 years or so. But this movie defined the slasher genre um, and started all of the iconic tropes, the final girl, the last kill, everything that's addressed in Scream 20 years later. and I love Scream so much. Um, but uh, you you think also, that was one thing, like when I go back to it, I'm like, because my best friend just watched it for the first time, like last week. And I was afraid, like maybe he, because of, you know, someone like me who just loves horror and all of its aspects, uh, is he going to think, okay, this is cliche or this is just like, this hasn't held up very well or anything. And he, even he like still really loved it and the cliches are so well utilized because I mean it started it started them but it's right. they're used so brilliantly that it's with like stands the test of time and I think also this is one of the only slasher movies that is continually like taught in like film school and taught about story and how again like how atmosphere and all that like because you know Nightmare on Elm Street, which is also great. There's not a whole lot of deeper subtext to that. There's, um, I mean, there's some, but Halloween is like on another level. Um, or And people talk about like The Exorcist or, um, and even Scream for its place in pop culture history. But Halloween is what really started it. Like the slasher genre became something like, oh, this is actually like super profitable. People uh, enjoy being pushed to their limits. And even if you don't like the characters all that much, which we'll get into, um, <laughs> there's you're still hoping that they get away. Like you're yeah. you're still like they are put in the utmost worst possible situation, and it, it's done just so so well. And I think you know, excuse me for you know skipping or jumping the gun here, but um, it's done in such a way where take. Friday the 13th, for example, there is a backstory there. You know, you have this association with, in the first original one, his mom and like the losing her child and now the sort of vengeance thing that she has going for him. Um, But in Halloween, it's like, what is the motive? You know, you don't Mm -hmm. ever get that thing where you're like, I can sympathize with Michael Myers. I know why he's doing this. It's just like, dude, what are you doing? Why? (laughs) And I think that's, that's a good thing. Like I actually, I personally like that. Like, yeah, you say, yeah, with, with Jason, I don't necessarily know if I like sympathize with Jason, but yeah, there's a lot more information given to uh, his backstory and why he's there. Michael Myers, that's what makes him so creepy is that you don't know who this person is and he just shows up. Like it's, it's great. And I mean the whole, you know, opening uh, scene when they're going to pick him up, you know, it's creepy. It's raining. It's dark. You don't really see anything around you. Just everyone's out walking like around mm-hmm. in the grass. It's it, it really like it sets you on edge like immediately. 
Um, and I like the the aura of mystery around it because you don't get to know that much about Michael Myers other than, you know, obviously he, he killed his sister and he's been in this um, mental institution for many years and all of that. Um, the slap, but the horror was, uh, there's very clear brackets of where the horror genre goes. And I think the slasher one is the one that, people most associate with horror. I think the slasher genre is the poster child for horror, right? So it's a guy with an ax or a weapon running after some helpless girl um, who's going to get away or something. You know, we've had like so many movies like that, but there's so many other genres like, uh, or sub genres of horror. There's like the paranormal horror. There's like body horror. There's right. horror mixed with sci-fi. Why, why do you think the slasher genre is the one that like we're still getting slasher movies like why is what why is the slasher genre do you think the one that has stood out the most i think it it freaks people out i'm it's one of those things where you can you know sit down and watch i'm not saying it's a good movie but paranormal activity and Ah. think like ah i wouldn't want that to happen to me you know but what are the chances whereas you take somebody like michael myers it's like guy escaped from a mental institution and is now just mindlessly chasing these poor girls. Mm. It's like, that could be me. You know, you sit down and you think that could really happen. And I think that's what gets people is the realism. Obviously people in horror movies make bad decisions. We all know this, but there is that element of saying there's realism behind it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that it's also, it's, it's a game of cat and mouse, essentially. Uh, this movie, that's all it is. And in, in other movies, like, like you mentioned Paranormal Activity, uh, which is great, by the way, uh, um, uh, there's a lot of waiting in that movie. You know, you're waiting for the ghostly action, you know, to, uh, to really get you. But with, with Halloween and, you know, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street, Friday the 13th. There's a clear adversary that is coming for the hero and they have to just basically try and get away and um, do whatever it takes to survive. And I think what's great about Halloween is that it set the precedent that in many ways, especially with the way that this film ends, uh, like basically the killer wins. Like in a lot of ways, when you think about it, I mean, yes, Laurie Strode is left alive, but he's still out there. And I'm going to get into more of that in the analysis, but I think that's what makes it so much more scary is that like no one really wins in this movie. And you don't see that a lot anymore either, which I think helps the movie hold up is now the sort of formula that we've created for films is you're going to watch this hero as you said struggle their way through but ultimately in the end the you know enemy in the movie is taken down they're done they're gone but in halloween it's like look out the window he's gone where did we go i don't know is he gonna do the same thing probably we'll find Mm -hmm. out eventually he does right yeah which then spawned a multitude of sequels and i want to talk about the franchise for for just a minute because i've seen i think there's 10 sequels if i recall correctly uh there's nine or ten i've seen i think maybe half of them uh and my my thing is like i think 
Halloween 2 has some good parts, especially the whole second half, like when it's just all in the hospital. I think it's like really creepy. I love the setting of the hospital. Um, and then Halloween 3 is <laughs> fucking terrible. Oh I my knew it was going to come up at some it point. Was, I, oh, I have such an interesting relationship with Halloween 3. That's another one that was on TV a lot when I was a kid. And I remember watching and just being like, what the fuck? fuck like this is it's so like i like the idea that they're going for they would make it in an anthology series like each movie would be like its own little separate story like that's a good idea um but then they were like okay let's have this like (laughs) twilight zone-esque secret society of people and they're making masks like what (laughs) like come on it could have been so much better and it was the only thing that's cool about it is that it ends with fucking whatever the guy's name is just yelling stop it into a phone yeah. to make sure that London Bridges stops playing. <laughs> like the whole thing itself, like just the movie is so dumb. Oh, but I know there was one year where I think it was like A&E or something. One of those channels was just playing it constantly. And I drove <laughs> my mom insane because I was, I don't know, maybe 12. And I would not stop watching it. And when I wasn't <laughs> watching it, I was going, eight more days till Halloween, Halloween, <laughs> Halloween. And she was like, stop doing that. Yeah, it is. Yeah, that gets stuck in your head like really easily. But that one is so like, I remember like, again, I would watching it as a kid. Like it's so it just doesn't belong. Yeah, it doesn't belong. It's really cheesy at points. Like a guy dies because he gets smushed by two cars and it's really funny. Um, And it's just not like an interesting movie. Like it's just like it's almost like a Halloween fan film with like a little bit more um, money thrown at it. And beyond that, um, I haven't seen four. I think I haven't seen five. I have seen uh most of Halloween Resurrection, which is also terrible. Um, and so is H2O, that whole 20 year thing. And I ha, did you see did you see the 2018 Halloween? I did not. I heard Jamie Lee Curtis was still in that one though. Yeah, so the way that that works is they decided to retcon everything after the first one. So this was supposed to be a direct sequel. So Halloween 2 and on just didn't happen. Um, Interesting. And, and so... I personally didn't like it all that much. I think Jamie Lee Curtis gives a really good performance in it. Um, and there's like two creepy things that happen. But beyond that, I thought the movie was stupid. I just think it's it kind of slow. It's not slow. It's just story wise. It's so inconsistent. Tonally, it doesn't match up. There's some really bad, like there's like two twists in it. And both of them are just like, What? Like, I yeah. can't believe they did that. And I was, I won't spoil it for you, but and now, I mean, that movie made a shit ton of money and we're getting two more of them uh, directed by David Gordon Green. Naturally. But, na- of course, that's, you know, capitalism. That's what we do. Finance. Um, but this one still remains, you know, essential. You know, I've heard no one talk about the 2007 Rob Zombie remake or the sequel to that. Um, I mean, I, I have, have friends that say that they prefer that, but their opinion is wrong. That is a that is a bad opinion. That is a that is, I'm not. I've been trying to not be one to say that an opinion is wrong, but that's. I'm sorry, that's wrong. Like that's just it not is. right. Like I don't. I can't <laughs> imagine a world where Rob Zombie makes a better movie than fucking John Carpenter. Like that's just that's ridiculous. Um, but we're talking about this one. Um, now before we get into the critical stuff, I want to know how. Does 
where does Halloween, the holiday, um, fit in your heart and how, what is your attachment to um, October 31st? Well, Halloween, I will sound like the most basic girl you've ever heard, but Halloween is my favorite holiday. Um, It's just everything about it. I mean, what time of the year other than Halloween do you get to be whoever you want to be? You know, dress up however you want. There's no judgment. If somebody's judging you, they're wrong. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it's just, it's fun because, you know, as a kid, even though in upstate New York, it's always freezing Mm -hmm. every year on Halloween, you still you know, get your costume on, cover it up with your winter coat so no one ever knows what you are anyway. And you go out house to house trick-or-treating and who doesn't love candy? I mean, come right. on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it, this is fun. Three for three. Every guest in the Halloween section of this series has said Halloween is their favorite holiday. So we did it. <laughs> we can end this show happily now. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's my favorite holiday too, as I've said before. And I just have always loved the atmosphere of it, the energy Um, I mean, just fall in general has always been my favorite time of year. And this movie, I think, is one that Halloween movies, like I think most of the time, you know, you just attach yourself to horror movies like uh, around the season. And I, I mean, I've always loved horror movies, but this one, I I, like, I get excited because it's like, I can only watch it around Halloween time. You know, like I, I have to wait. It gets, it's like another level uh, of excitement for me. Like, I mean, I'll watch, well, like Scream, The Shining, and Halloween, as I said, are the three staples. But like, I could watch The Shining in the wintertime. Like, I, yeah. that's a good, obviously a good snowed in movie for a reason. Um, Scream could be like really any time in the fall, pretty much. Uh, but there's just, Halloween has to be in October. It like there's no exceptions. I can't I can't watch this movie in the summer. Like it's just weird. Yeah. I mean, I did have to watch it earlier this year for a horror class that I was taking. Um but even that experience was so good because there were a lot of people in that class who had never seen the movie before and you get their instant reaction and I talked to a lot of people afterwards and what they thought and it's it's fun to kind of discuss the theory and the the analysis of it because Surprisingly, the movie holds up like pretty well. Um, you know, for a low budget movie made for you know three hundred thousand dollars in nineteen seventy eight, uh, it surprisingly it still looks great. Um, the themes are really fun to unpack. It's yeah. not it's not really offensive in any way. It's it's just an all out great time, and it's one of my favorite horror movies. Like it just ever, I love it so much. And I think. As far as, I mean, as much as you can be with a horror movie, it's family friendly, you know, because I can remember being at home, you know, the week around actual Halloween day and my mom and I putting on Halloween and then like taking our pumpkins and carving the pumpkins while we're watching Halloween. Mm -hmm. You know, there's that association with it too. So I think that's what gets me so excited to watch the movie and get into the Halloween season is just, there's all these things that, you know, little traditions that everyone has. I think that's also one of the reasons why certain mainstream horror, like mainstream horror has taken some very interesting turns in the past uh, few decades is that I think movies like, um, like Halloween and like, um, like the slasher genre and, and then, scream later on 
I, th- I think they started to really take what made those movies great and see the wrong reasons for using them again, like the cliches and like, okay, I'll give you an example. So I was just watching, I just watched for the first time last night, the, the Hills have eyes remake that uh, I've seen the uh, first original one. Right. Yeah. So not the Wes Craven one. This was a remake that they did in 2006. Okay. And you know, Halloween, Halloween itself, the movie obviously has a lot of things you would look at now and be like, oh, that's cliche, but it was a start of something. The Hills Have Eyes remake takes so many modern, like 2006 cliches and makes and dates the movie so hard. Like the family is extremely conservative, but there's the one guy who's the Democrat cell phones, uh, service operator who's like oh i can't get any service out in the desert and it's like oh man you should own a gun and it's like oh my (laughs) god what are we doing here and it just takes like it's so easy for horror movies to take their characters or just the cliches of scaring and you know who's gonna die and all that to the absolute most extreme and they fall into it so easy i mean you mentioned the saw movies earlier today like that like that in and of itself is just the most extreme. It's just torture porn. Oh, it is porn. the most extreme. That's that's just masochism when you boil it down. Yeah, and people claim Halloween of masochism. Go watch Saw Two or Three oh, yeah. or like is any of those. The um, there was one where they pushed a girl into a needle pit, and that's that just, two. Oh yeah. God, it's Halloween is just nowhere on that level at all. We were not doing this like mindless, weird torture that seemed like it was never going to end. Yeah. And on top of that, the Saw movies, they just don't like, there's never a situation where like Halloween made the idea of walking around trick or treating your neighborhood scary. Like that's what, like there's no scenario where I'm going to watch Saw and be like, Oh, I hope I don't get thrown into a dusty bathroom one day. (laughs) Like that's not, (laughs) it's not going to happen. I'm going to, I'm going to be fine. You know, like, And then there's things like, you know, Final Destination, which is just pure fun. Um, Oh, well, that's, you know, that's a different element, I feel, because that was something that was never meant to take itself seriously. Right. No, I love the Final Destination series. That's why I'm saying like that was a different angle on it. Um, But yeah, Halloween started it all. So why don't we get into the critical breakdown? I think we should just start with the opening sequence. Uh, it's, I think it's one of the best opening shots, like in a movie, honestly, like from the seventies and uh, just that classic era of just the one shot first person POV of mm-hmm. Michael Myers walking around his house. It's so well done. And again, still looks good. Like there's not a moment wasted. They planned it out like so meticulously. Um, you just get the shot of the Myers house and then all of a sudden it's moving and then the mask goes on. It's like, oh my God, wait, it's him. And he's looking in the window and it's just automatically you're like, I have no idea where this is going. Right. And you don't know like if that's, and that's all the backstory you get. That's all the backstory you get. And that's all the backstory that you need. Michael Myers does not say a word. He doesn't, we don't see him at school and someone bullying him. He's like, oh, I'm going to kill my sister because of this. <laughs> like he just, he just gets right into it. We don't know why. We don't know like 
there's so much that we don't know and it works so well. It's not because it's lazy, but because it's intentional and the camera work still looks good. Sure. You can see a shadow of a cameraman at one point, but you know well, what? It works. It's great. <laughs> I mean, that shot alone that you're talking about, the POV that is like brings you in because you don't, if you were watching it for the first time, you don't know who it is. You don't know where you're going. And the thing that I think bold enough to say got me the first time was, oh my God, this is a kid. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> exactly. You know, you, you're like, yeah. it's a kid and he just murdered his sister and his mm-hmm. parents reaction. We talked about that was oh not intense enough for my liking. <laughs> yeah. That was when I was watching it. Yeah. No, I, I too. When I first watched it, I was like, oh my God, he's like a child. For some reason, when I, for some reason, when I was a kid, I always thought like Michael Myers was like an adult. And when he did this, he was like a teenager mm-hmm. or something like that. Like the timeline was all shifted. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's like, oh my God, this kid's like, you know, eight or nine years old. And he's, um, and that's like his, the look on his face is like so shocking. And then I, I think the fact that I'm going to give the parents a little bit of credit just because they had to then uh, they attached the camera. It was on a crane and they had to go up and they were mm-hmm. just like, all right, how about you stand here for like um, uh, 30 seconds and don't say anything. <laughs> and <laughs> it's just slowly going up. And I, I just have this like picture in my head of the, of the dad, like actually just being like, what do we have here? Like, Yeah. <laughs> that's kind of how it registers with me. You know, the way they react, because if it was my parents and I'm not a psychopath, so I, wouldn't murder someone anyway, but mm-hmm. I just know my mom would be hysterical. She wouldn't mm-hmm. be like, you know, walking up to me if I was Michael Myers and being like, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> Who else but Michael? Yeah. <laughs> Killing his sister again. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's I think it just has to do with the fact that they needed the the crane up shot, which is a good shot, but at the same time it's it makes it it's a little awkward, you know? Yeah. It's like I expected them to run in the house and Michael to just like stay out in the yard or something like that. I don't know, but it's like just weird. They're just like, hmm, I could go inside and look, <laughs> but I'm going to figure this out first, you know? Like, yeah, so. you'd, you'd think there'd be more <clears throat> dialogue right there. I understand that they were doing that like upward shot, but more of like a, what did you do? Oh my God. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> that, more questions, I guess. Yeah, but I love that that's the only context you get and then hard cut to however 15 years later, however many years later yeah. it is. Um, and after that really great title sequence where it zooms in on the jack-o'-lantern, which is just iconic, um, and we, you get to meet Donald Pleasance as Dr. Loomis, who's just wonderful, um, who's, I guess, kind of the main the big star at the time of this movie. Cause I mean, obviously Jamie Lee Curtis is the breakout star of, of, of Halloween and got her career because of this movie. But like, Donald Pleasance was a really big actor in TV movies and film. And I guess he's the main draw. And I have some things to say about his character. We'll get into him just a little bit yeah. later, but like you can tell that even he's afraid, like as they're right. driving up, it's like, you have to be, you have to be careful. Like don't come up to the gate or like whatever. And then, uh, and then their car gets ambushed, and Michael just drives off. And it's so good, like how just immediately the the threat is kept so under wraps. You know, yeah. like they don't show Michael too much. They don't. Um, 
you, you know, don't really you, see its face at all. Yeah, you don't really. Yeah, not really, especially in that opening because we don't see the iconic look yet. So it's just a mm-hmm. guy, and then you know, how does he drive a car? We'll never know. Um, but <laughs> he figured it out somehow. Yeah, someone must have taken him out and given him lessons. <laughs> um, and but that's just the hijacking of the car scene sticks out in my mind too because again that trope of people in horror movies make bad decisions why did you roll down the window yeah why mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i think in like I, <laughs> and the whole thing too is like she has the matchbook and that becomes a mm-hmm. um a callback uh to earlier or to uh later in the movie but like i think that the one thing that i can really get out of this just from the opening like few minutes alone is how well paced the movie is right like it is like constantly moving. I mean, it takes its time when it needs to to build suspense, but it's never boring. It's never dull. It's never like, all right, when's Michael going to show up? God, yeah. can we like, like, I don't, I don't need Lori walking home talking to this shit heel kid. Like, I don't like, no, it actually, you know, there's actually good character moments. And um, I think it's, you know, to kind of go back to the point earlier about what makes you want to keep going back to the movie is the character development is quick, quick, quick. You know, you're, well, you don't really have a lot of backstory about him. You understand he is the threat. This is what's happening very quickly into the movie. Whereas, like we mentioned earlier, Paranormal Activity, it's slow on the get-go. You know, mm-hmm. you're like, why am I watching this? Where are you going? Whereas, like you said, the threat right off the bat from when he's a kid to when he's hijacking that car, it's like, you know it's him. You know something bad is going to happen when Michael's around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. And, you know, there's the the aura around the Myers house. And it's cool to see when we get introduced to Laurie Strode and she walks up and then you get that really cool shot of him in the shadows, like by the mm-hmm. door. You're like, holy shit. That was one when I saw it in theaters. Like I jumped because I didn't know that that was coming. Like that was that was so well done. Um, and let's talk about Jamie Lee Curtis. Um, I think she's fantastic in this movie. She's wonderful. And uh, a really great first performance from her. Uh, and she's like we talked about it uh, a little while ago that she's actually 18 when they film this. So she's the eight. only teenager in the actual movie. Mm-hmm. And she she carries this movie like she is really the main star because I mean she's supposed to be the final girl, but like and I, I mean everyone knows Donald Pleasance, but like he doesn't have a whole lot to do in this movie. Jamie Lee Curtis is the one who is actively pushing the fear and the um, the hope for survival throughout. And she is so believable as like, you can tell she's good friends with Annie and Linda who we'll get to. You can tell she's a great babysitter to this kid. That's the other thing. I like how much time they spend keeping her with the two kids later mm-hmm. on is because like, she's the protector. Like she actually yeah. has, she's making sure that they don't get in harm's way, which is, it's, it's great. I I love her in this movie. Yeah. You kind of almost get that older sister feeling from her, Mm -hmm. but you know, being that we're on the younger end for watching this movie, it's Mm -hmm. hard to imagine a world where Jamie Lee Curtis is not an A-list actor. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't look at, I just don't look at Dr. Loomis and be like, oh my gosh, what a famous man. You know, I'm (laughs) (laughs) just like, I'm like, Jamie Lee Curtis is the star, but to imagine that she's just like a teen 
getting, you know, she's going to make that eight grand with this movie. And mm-hmm. this is going to be like her big breakout film. I'm like, no, it's Jamie Lee Curtis. Here we go. This is going to be a good movie. I already know it. Yeah. And it's interesting again, because she's always been like in, in our lives, she's always kind of been the famous mom. Like she's mm-hmm. such a good like movie mom and, uh, and her career is, you know, still going, you know, she survives through Christmas with the cranks to make it all the way through <laughs> knives out Christmas with the cranks, future episode in this series. Um, oh. But, uh, but it, it's so, I'm so glad that she's had the career that she's had. I mean, obviously it's had, it's like ups and downs and some interesting points, but the fact that I was so happy, the fact that she was in Knives Out because that movie was so good and she was like just commanding the screen every time she was on it. And uh, and she's just such a really lovable person. Like she's yeah. a great, like just in her life, she's a great mom to her son. She's really an interesting person. She's very smart. She's super lovable. Um, and I, I think if she had started with any other movie, her career would have been completely different. Um, mm-hmm. And not that it goes in a specific, like she sticks in horror movies route. Um, but you can tell early on, she has a very relatable presence. Yeah. And I think that's why she ended up, you know, going where she did in her career is because even though this is her breakout first film, it's one of those things where you watch it and she does demand the attention the entire time. You get that from her right off the bat. Mm-hmm. Now, the same cannot be said for her two friends. Let's just no. do this now. So Linda <laughs> Linda and Annie. Um, Linda is the uh, the blonde-haired girl and yes. Annie's the short black-haired girl, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, they're both awful. They are horrible in this movie, but not in a way that takes me out of the movie. I told you, I think Linda is overacting and Annie isn't <laughs> acting at all. Like she, Annie very well could have been someone they pulled off the street and they were like, "You film now." Yes, <laughs> <laughs> here's some words. Say them. You know, like that was pretty much <laughs> it. Uh, and you know, there are times where she's like, <laughs> "There's a part when when Michael first shows up in the car when they're walking home from school, mm-hmm. and Lori's like, oh, I forgot my chemistry book.' And maybe this is just kind of bad editing, but I think it's really funny." <laughs> Uh, Linda's like, oh, I forgot my English book too and my history book and my science book. I never get my books. And then it cuts <laughs> to showing the car coming down the street and you just hear Linda continually going on about like, yeah, I mean, Lori, who needs books? Like, you don't need books. Like, I'll get by. It'll be okay. Who needs books? And it's like, Linda, shut the fuck up about the book. It's fine. Like, we get it. Like, she just goes on and on and on. It's so Which you fun. might just attribute to someone who's overacting that was maybe not having the most experience in film and just thinking, mm-hmm. you know what, I'm going to ad-lib this. I've got it. Yeah. <laughs> I never get my books. That's what I'm going to do. I want to be remembered for this. <laughs> and then when, like, but Annie, there are times where she's just like, oh no, I spilled something on my clothes and now yeah. I have to take them off in the kitchen. You know, like, <laughs> that's pretty much it. But again, it's not to the detriment of the movie. They're both really bad, but it's kind of adds this this charm to it. Like I don't watch it and be like, I can't watch Annie's scene because she's so bad. Like the scene itself is still well made, and she's going from the laundry room back to the house, back and forth. It's really well done. Um, but I think it's a little bit like I can watch it because she is so bad. Yeah, it's it's funny. I, I mean, it could have been you know, it could have been anyone else that was just awful uh, and. 
I, like, I don't know. Hmm. It's, it's her a, lack it, of expression. It's her lack of expression. It's a certain kind of bad. Like it yeah. makes it, it makes it enjoyable. You know, you're like, oh, the seventies, no mm-hmm. money. Let's go. <laughs> I'm in <laughs> like, I'm never like, there are times where bad acting is just like, I, I can't, like, I just can't mm-hmm. get in. Like, and as much as like, you know, as, as fun as we had with bad acting on this show before, you know, everyone could agree that they're like, those who watched Artemis Fowl this year, that that kid was absolutely terrible. And I just couldn't, it was hard to get through that movie. But this, this is just, it hits the sweet spot, you know? Yeah. Um, like that one thing that really sticks out, at least for Annie, is the car scene. Yeah. Where they're like driving to, I don't know, she's supposed to be dropped off right at the house that she was babysitting at. Yeah. And they're like smoking a joint. And then her dad's a cop and she's just like, my dad get rid of it and it's like dude we could have put a little just a little enthusiasm behind it dad (laughs) (laughs) yeah and like that that whole scene too is like kind of funny because like why did she need to pull up and see her dad she could have easily just gone around instead she was like hey i'll put it away it's my dad i'm about to have a five minute conversation about what he's doing at work you know like it's so weird but Um, i think it's one of those things where you think to yourself, well, she could have just driven away, but then on the movie end of it, it's like, well, we need to know what Michael took. Right. Yeah. That is the only point of reference where you're like, ah, for movie's sake, I get it for your sake. Why? Yeah. (laughs) He yells a lot too. (laughs) (laughs) And also the get rid of it thing. It's like, he's a cop. If you had rolled down your windows, he's going to be like, it smells like reefer in there. I'd know what yeah. you did. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. It's not, it's not instant. It doesn't go away instantly. No. Like it ruminates a little bit, you know? <laughs> um, <laughs> I think that what's funny about his character too, the, the, the cop is that like, I mean, there's not a whole lot given to him and I'm, I don't think that there needs to be any more given to him. No. Um, He's more so for expositional purposes and meeting up with Donald Pleasance um, for later. But he is essential to giving us David Arquette in Scream, which is the just the version of it that's just completely blown out of proportion. The idiot <laughs> cop, you know, yeah. it's it, it really comes to a head with David Arquette. And now that character has become iconic uh, because of Scream. Um, and I'm not not necessarily that like. <laughs> This character is an idiot, but he's kind of dopey. You know, he's like, oh, someone broke in and stole a bunch of knives. Hmm. How about that? Like, that's. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like it was just knives. It was so specific. And to be just like, ah, well, robberies do happen. It's like, yeah. no, the guy stole a mask. Yeah. He stole some knives, <laughs> some rope. Like, let's think about this, shall we? Also, what store sells all three of those things. It was a hardware store, which I have questions about the mask yeah. and the knives. Yeah. And the rope. Like, <laughs> <laughs> like where's he going? He's like, uh, Michael's like making his like list. He's like, all right, I got to go to Spirit Pottery Barn <laughs> and Home Depot. I'll do it all in one night. It'll be okay. <laughs> ah, but this hardware store will have what I need. Ah, uh, it closed at nine. Well, I'll <laughs> leave a note for the broken window. And I owe you, you know. Yeah. Um, and also, I want to talk about how I want to talk about Donald Pleasant's character, Doctor Loomis. 
became an iconic character in the horror genre. Obviously, Loomis, the name has been spoofed and put into characters as mm-hmm. many times you could possibly, you know, think of. Like, obviously, Scream is another one. I think I think it's used in um, uh, Final Destination at one point too. But what's interesting about his character is the first act or so you could see him slowly put like he's he's got this kind of cool detective side of him he's Mm -hmm. looking for where michael could have gone and he has the idea oh he went back to um illinois or wherever the fuck this movie is supposed to take place fun fact this movie was filmed in pasadena california yeah because you see palm trees see palm trees yes you do um and some of the suburban streets like i remember when i was in la we drove around like some of those streets you can like very easily tell it is a california Uh, Yeah, Um, because they had to make side note fake leaves. My favorite fact about this is that (laughs) they just had bags of painted paper to look like leaves and they'd have to just collect them every time Mm -hmm. they were done filming. Anyway, it's just. (laughs) Um, But so he's, you know, trying to put the mystery together and be like, where could he have gone? And he sees the truck driver who um, or the mechanic, I guess, who Michael killed to get the clothes. And he's like, oh, he's Michael Myers has come home. Um, Mm -hmm. and, but then eventually after he talks to the one guy and finds the gravestone missing, Donald Pleasance just kind of disappears for the movie. Like after a while, he's just like, all right, I'm going to stay here at the Myers house. And if he comes back, I'll, uh, I'll call you. Like, that's (laughs) pretty much it. And then we don't, when we only get like one more scene with him, when those bully kids go up to the house and he's like, Hey, I'm gonna play a prank, you know, like get your ass away from there. And they like run away. Yeah. And then he doesn't show up in, until the end. And I guess I never fully put it together or realized it until this watch through that while he Donald Pleasance is good and is like you know, is is doing a good job with the character, he doesn't have a whole lot to do. Like he's not yeah. as prominent in the story. Um, as I remembered him being like the past few times that I had seen it, like he's, he's important in the beginning to talk about how crazy Michael is and to figure out where he's going. And then he's basically just there. He's like, all right, I got to wait until the third act. And then, (laughs) (laughs) and then he shows up again. Um, I think in my mind, it's, he's there for the sake of establishing the character, but otherwise at least for me, relatively forgettable. Because mm-hmm. until I rewatched it, I was like, "Oh, yeah, that's right. He's in this movie." Right. Yeah. The, but like that—that's really one of my main complaints with it is that he's just kind of there at points. Yeah. Like, especially, I mean, the scene with like him like pranking those kids is cool because it has like a good fake scare. Like when the cop comes up behind him and he's like, Hey, and it's like, Oh geez, you didn't realize he was there. You know, in any other scenario, they would have put like a big music cue um, on it. But uh, speaking of music, uh, let's talk about John Carpenter's brilliant theme uh, for this, that it just was instantly um, famous. uh, And he has, you know, scored a lot of his movies, even though he can't write any music, um, he was just playing around in the piano and he hit those high notes and he knew that he had something special and it it gets you and even more so like other than the actual theme like the is the yeah. is the the slow one where it's like bum, 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 like and you mm-hmm. know something's coming you're like oh Jesus Christ like it like 
it's it just adds to the atmosphere. And I think that's what John Carpenter did so well is get the feeling of an unwanted presence, like a, yeah. an evil presence and that something is constantly around you and you never know like where it's going to come from. I think it's almost second nature for people to just react a certain way to certain music, whether you want to admit it or not. Hearing certain music overlaid with video makes you feel a certain way. It changes the way you feel. And I don't know if the movie would be nearly as scary if you eliminated that element. Yeah, it, it would have been completely like with no music in and of itself. It, I don't, I don't, it just wouldn't have worked or with a big symphonic score yeah. or something like, um, I'm trying to think of like a, I don't know, something like heavy synth or something. Mm-hmm. It would just be, it would just be completely different, you know? And I mean, there is synth used in the score, but like, it's not as prominent as just the simple piano, yeah. uh, which is so well done. Um, one of the things that I think is really interesting about this movie is that they never actually refer, because I mean, Lori and all of them don't know who Michael Myers is. I mean, they know right. the Myers house, but they don't know that that's him, right? So they really did something smart and they kept referring to him, you know, as like the boogeyman, which is something that like, you know, everyone grew up scared of the boogeyman. Like just that, that legend or just that, you know, that story that everyone told is like, Oh, there's someone hiding in your closet and he's going to wait to come out and get you at night. Um, And I think it's interesting because you have those two dynamics of Lori and the kids of tapping into childhood fear and like fear as an adult. Mm -hmm. And it's equally scary, like on both ends. Like it's a little bit more psychological when you're an adult and you think about like how the ending actually plays out when you're a kid. Like this is just a scary, huge entity that is just stalking your neighborhood. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Like that's horrifying. I think it, it takes you back to, you know, watching it now as an adult being like, as a kid, you had those what's lurking in the dark kind of, nonsensical fears in a way of like something could jump out and get me. But then now it takes you, at least for me as an adult, like into this very current fear of this is just someone who's coming after me. You know, Mm -hmm. there's that eminent threat. You know, it's very real. It's not that childhood, like mindless sense of, Oh, I could be in danger, but who knows now it's like, I am in danger right now immediately it takes you into both mindsets Mm -hmm. i think also that has to do a lot with the cinematography they did a really good job of integrating um some handheld cam and steady cam Mm -hmm. uh shots like there's always you always seem like you're being followed like especially when linda and her boyfriend are running from the car up to the door it's from behind or like we mentioned when um annie is in the um in the kitchen, I think, and the camera's kind of moving from side to side, and then he shows up uh, in the background, and then he disappears, and it's like, oh man, uh, yeah. they, they did a really good job of utilizing, you know, what what is what was and what was not in the frame, um, because you know, if it was all just steady and someone just like walked by, like it wouldn't have the same effect. You know, yeah. you yourself are kind of, as you're watching this, you're since you're on edge, you're kind of looking around at everything and making sure, like, is there something behind me? Or is there, you know, something over there? Did I see it? Mm-hmm. Um, and 
you know, it adds to the energy of the movie. The fact that everything, not only pacing wise, but shot wise, everything's moving and it just keeps going. Um, yeah, I think that's, you know, I keep bringing it up, but paranormal activity again, very <laughs> stagnant the whole time, which I think is the reason that I couldn't get into something like that. Whereas mm-hmm. like you said, they have handheld steady cams where when you're watching Halloween, you're sitting there and you're like, I'm with them right now. Right. I'm walking along with them. I'm running along with them. I've been fully encapsulated into their experience as a character. I think now also because they I mean they made this movie with very little money and they still had a good production value. They had a good camera, they had a good crew, they had a good cinematographer. So they make it look good. Nowadays they're just like, okay, let's do it with found footage style and we can make it for five bucks. And it just doesn't look good. I mean, sure, there are a couple exceptions to some well made found footage movies. Um, you mean like, like, um, like, like Blair Witch Project? <laughs> I enjoy Blair Witch Project. Um, but like something like Cloverfield or um, like Chronicle, like they were ones that kind of stuck out. But now the found footage genre has just, you know, the horror or the horror genre has just like absorbed found footage. Mm-hmm. And we haven't gotten actually as many as we did like in the early 2010s, but it was everywhere and that became the low budget staple halloween shows you that you can make a movie with nothing and it can still be effective it can still look great like that's the other thing this movie still looks really good yeah the a lot of those found footage movies are not going to look good in a few years like I mean, some of them already don't look good. <laughs> like you know, they, they age like milk in the sun. You know, like this one really, you know, stays around because of how much care they put into it, and they planned everything out so well. Well, I think you can talk about like the fact that yes, it was low budget, which has its own you know sort of meaning nowadays. But think about the fact that it was low budget in the seventies. Mm-hmm. You know, the cost of actually putting the film together at that time and what that meant versus now when you could just throw all your footage on a computer and be like, all right, I'll edit this myself. You know, I I think it's easy to overlook the fact that saying low budget during that time period means something very different. Uh, Let's talk about some of the kill scenes because they're so well planned out. Um, And each of them seems to like take a really good amount of time. Uh, And like... The Annie scene is done actually like really well, I think, because every time I think it's going to happen at one point and then Mm -hmm. she goes back into the house. Like every time I think when she's calling for Lindsay or something to um, to answer the phone. Yeah. And Michael's in the background, but then she gets caught or stuck in the window. Like every time I'm like, oh, she's going to die. Yeah. It's that laundry scene where you're like, it's going to be right there. It has to be. Yeah. She's bait. Yeah, exactly. I mean, that's the whole reason that you have your laundry room in an outhouse out, <laughs> outside is so that a killer can come get you. Like that's yeah, just like, how it works. You um, can walk out there just a t-shirt on and get stuck in your window. Yeah. Naturally speaking. My dad's button up that was hanging on a coat rack in the kitchen for some reason. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh, but again, you know, it plays with your expectations. So it's like so close because she's in that window. She's like, Lindsay, help me for like, you know, five minutes. And then finally Lindsay comes out and she's mm-hmm. okay. And then it's, he's in the car when he, and I love, yeah. I love when she 
rubs the steam, the condensation off the the windshield. She's like, "What is that?" And then he gets her. It's like, "Oh my god!" Like it's it still gets me. It's like it's such a good little moment. She doesn't say anything. She's just like, "Huh?" And then boom. Yeah. Michael is- Myers also strangles more people than he stabs in this movie. This is true. It's not very blood heavy at all. That's, that's yeah, which is good. I mean, they've kind of ramped it up more in the second one with with the blood and the gore. But yeah, very minimal um, blood effects, and which I think I, is okay. I think it works just as fine. Oh yeah, no, I'm I'm all for it. I think it it's it's very effective still. Um, and what was it? Oh, also. Oh, never mind. Okay, because when I was watching it, I thought he left Annie in the car because her head goes on the horn. No. And then he and then he ends up taking because the whole time I was like, wouldn't they hear the car? Like <laughs> this movie's going on for like two hours. Like, wouldn't they like notice that yeah. there's a horn blaring across the street? Like, no, he brings a he brings him inside. And <clears throat> I think but that's that another is- good thing. Is sorry, go ahead. Oh, I just wanted to talk about her acting very briefly in this <laughs> kill scene because it is the one moment where I'm like, okay, so we've gone from not acting at all to overacting the eye roll and her mm-hmm. like slowly slumping down. I was like, all right. Yeah. I she kind of like, doing here. She, she kind of dies like a couple times in that, in that shot. She's like, yeah, her eyes roll back and then she closes them and she goes down and they open again and then they cross. And it's like, what are you doing? God, it's like you're <laughs> reading an eye chart or something. Um, and then when Michael to that cool shot of from across the street, when Michael takes the body in the shadows and takes him and takes her inside of the house, um, it's really effective because again, the fact that Tommy or whatever whatever that kid's name is, I think mm-hmm, it's Tommy. Tommy. Yeah. He sees he sees it. And yeah. you as the audience, you obviously believe him, and Lori's just like extremely dismissive of it, which I mean I, I can't can't blame her, you know, for you know if a if an eight year old kid said he saw the boogeyman across the street, like chances are I'm not going to believe. Not inclined him, you know? to believe that. <laughs> not, yeah. yeah. Um, but you know, again, sets it sets the tone. You know, she's let her guard down like several times, and then later, I love the sequence with uh, George and Linda, where um, <clears throat> it's this cool cross cutting moment where. They're in bed after having sex, and Lori's across the street. Um, and uh, you know she answers the phone, and but then <laughs> George goes downstairs, and he he gets stabbed through the cupboard and gets stuck yeah. to the wall and stays up there. Yes. Oh, it's awesome! It's so good. Um, that is one of my favorite transitions in the entire movie. Is when it cuts back to Linda in the room. And, you know, he, Michael, but we don't know this at that point, comes up like in the sheet and Linda's just like, Bob, come on, Bob. It's not funny anymore. Get my beer. Bob, that's his name. Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. No, that's so funny. <laughs> like, I just have this. Uh, just imagine Michael Myers doing that. <laughs> and then he's like, all right, I'm going to go kill what? Wait, I got an idea. And <laughs> and he's going up the stairs and he's just like <laughs> like giggling to himself. But not just that, he's like, you know what? I'm gonna go up there, ghost with a sheet over, but you know what's really gonna sell it? I'm gonna take his glasses and put it over the sheet. Yeah. She'll, she'll never expect to suspect a thing. And guess what? <laughs> Technically speaking, he was right. So yeah. <laughs> good on you, Michael Myers. And then when she calls 
Lori and stays on the phone as she's being killed. It's great. It's and it adds almost a level of humor to it. And again, just to accentuates the point that Lori has no idea what's coming for her. Um, <laughs> and she's just like, oh, Linda, you're so gross. Like this. <laughs> yeah. Also, it's it's that moment where you transition from. Am I watching horror or am I listening to porn? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that exactly. The noise that she's making, it's like, I, I understand why it was done, you know, for Lori to be like, oh, really? Did you really want me to hear you moaning right now? So nasty. Yeah. But then again, you're like, she's being killed. Is this, yeah. is this the sound we make when we're being killed? Yeah. <laughs> um, and then... But again, it's like, again, the cross-cutting between... And you just know... It, the other thing I wanted to mention is how great of a this basically this entire movie happens all in one day. Like mm-hmm. it happens just obviously entirely on the holiday, but within a period of just like a few short hours and having that as an indicator of, you know, just how fast everything is happening is so brilliant. Um the the one thing I I did want to, I did want to bring up is the whole well, actually, we'll, we'll save it for later because it has to do with analysis. So we'll save it a little bit later. Um, but from the point when Annie is killed all the way on, the movie just is an all-out thrill. Like it yeah. is so, so fantastic. Like, and it just keeps getting you know bigger and bigger and bigger uh, in in scale and in scare. Um, I love you know we already talked about like both their deaths is, is just so well done. They're so well crafted scenes, but like. <laughs> When finally, when Laurie has to face off against Michael is just iconic. And when she goes over to, uh, to Annie's house and, you know, she goes through all the rooms and slowly Mm -hmm. realizes what's going on. It's one scare after another. And each one is so good. Like she sees, uh, Linda on the bed with the mm-hmm. gravestone and then uh, Bob pops out of the door where he's hanging yeah. upside down. Gets me every time. It's so, oh my God. I, I, I don't know how I still don't see it coming, but mm-hmm. even the last time I was like, Jesus Christ. Oh God. <laughs> <laughs> and then well, it's like, she's just found all of her friends essentially dead in one bedroom. I mean, yeah, it's after that moment, it's like cut your losses and get the heck out. Yeah. And some people are like, oh, she's so she's overacting. She's so annoying. It's like, no, she found all three of her closest friends mm-hmm. mutilated in one room. I think she has enough, you know, a little bit of leeway to be upset, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Um, and this and is he- also the, the turning point for me personally, where <laughs> I'm really on the edge of my seat is mm-hmm. like, she's trying to get out of the house and it's that run across the street because Michael doesn't run, right. first of all. And her getting up to the house and banging on the door and being like, Tommy, Tommy, let me in. And him being like, oh, what? <laughs> Sorry, I'm sleeping. Sorry, I need some, uh, need some shut eye. <laughs> All right. Oh, what's up? Um, but yeah. And again, that's a good way to play with time is that they, cause she said lock the door, you know? So, yeah. um, and she manages to escape and, you know, after falling down a flight of stairs, which again is another moment that still a- has aged really well. It could have been so cheesy, but with the music, just the dun, dun, dun mm-hmm. is 
and the way that the camera even falls down the stairs, like it looks real. Like it, it was so well planned um, right. with, again, with the budget and the resources that they had and just her running across the street and the camera's like going back and forth. And it's just like, go, 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 go. He's like right mm-hmm. there. Oh my God. It's that shot when she's at the door and she's banging on the door to get this kid to open it. And you can see in the background him just like, slowly walking towards her and you're like, oh my God, he's coming. Get in the house. Get in the house right now. Yeah. Well, even before then, there's that iconic shot like after she falls down the stairs of him at the top, like he comes Mm -hmm. around the landing and he's just there and then he like runs down the stairs and you just like, like you're almost, you almost start sweating because you can't like, you can't look away but you want it to just go, go, go. Like, and it's just again, in one of those situations where it's like, I don't know what I would do. Like, would I be able to evade you know, Michael Myers or anything like, I don't know. I, I don't want to think about being in that situation. Um, Especially being injured because she's limping the whole time. Yeah. Also, fuck those neighbors for being like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like they're just, she's like, help me, help me. And they're like, uh, we don't, we're not, <laughs> we don't like charity. And then they just close their blinds. Yeah. You know, like, fuck you. Like, come on. I think it's a little, like your whole. But she's hysterical. Come well, on. Yeah. Like there's, clear reason to be like hmm maybe there should be some alarm you know like Mm -hmm. um and then the whole showdown in that in her house where you know she gets the knife and gets him behind the couch and then she hides in the closet and it just he keeps coming back he doesn't stop Mm -hmm. um and i like i will always love after she gets him with the coat hanger which is so smart. You don't always see women in movies making smart decisions like that, but I do appreciate what they did with her character to at least be able to be quick on her feet making decisions that I think any right-minded person would be doing. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that's the other thing is that she's a smart character. Like she knows, like she knows how to think quickly and act in situations like that. And yeah, the coat hanger is just brilliant. Um, but I love that shot where he's laying on the ground, just slowly gets up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you're like, oh no, like how, how? Um, and then, you know, when finally Donald Pleasance comes and shoots him, I love the last line. And she's like, was it the boogeyman? It's like, actually, it was. And then it's not there. It's yeah. so good. Oh, I love it. And I think that kind of segues really nicely with the analysis section because um, the last time I watched this, the themes really stuck out to me or a new theme kind of stuck out to me. So do you want to go to analysis and really delve deep into the? Oh, sure. Oh, let's do it. So if I may, before we talk about, there's a lot of themes that were, um, that have already been discussed for many years about, um, obviously how Lori is the only character in a film that doesn't has, have sex and the final girl is supposed to be the one, um, is supposed to be a virgin and she survives and, um, excuse me. Um, and, uh, that became a staple of horror movies for, you know, years after that and was talking about, like people say it's a comment on, you know, the dangers of being sexually promiscuous and, um, and all that. And that's not really something that I personally subscribe to. Like I saw a, a quote that Carpenter was like, 
Um, he wanted to, he just wanted to show teenagers doing typical late teenage, uh, teenage things. Like they would be, you know, wanting to have sex or, you know, smoking a joint or having a beer or whatever. Um, I kind of always thought it, it mirrored the beginning, mm -hmm. you know, like with the fact that his sister wasn't paying attention to him when she was supposed to be. And, you know, that murder scene with his sister ultimately is directly after she gets done having sex. And it just seems like there's a lot of parallels later on where, you know, like Linda is killed right after having sex. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I guess I think the one who, um, well, because you're not rooting for Michael Myers. Like no. you're not like he is the one acting against sexually active teenagers. So he would be the ultimate enemy saying that, you know, this is bad, but never in the movie are you like, yeah, Michael, let's go. Like, that's not <laughs> like, that's not well, the John point. Carpenter never established him to be a relatable character anyway. Right. Yeah. So I don't, I've personally never subscribed to, I mean, there's a lot that you can say about like the gender politics of it, but like, again, I think Lori, she's a smart character. She, um, there was a lot of debate on, uh, the ending of how Donald Pleasance comes in and technically kind of saves her in a way. But I think the fact that him getting up and not being there at the end proves that technically speaking, he didn't. And that kind of, that was the one that started this whole, like specifically with like Friday the 13th and nightmare on Elm street, that the monsters are like the, the main killers keep coming back because it's like the supernatural force. Mm -hmm. But Halloween, I was thinking kind of does something completely different in that the movie itself was, is about, I, I saw it more as about fear, like just the basis of being afraid and what scares you, which is extremely general, but because of the atmosphere that John Carpenter creates and Michael Myers being that embodiment of just being terrified, it always follows you. It's never fully going to go away. And like, it's almost disturbing if you think about the implications of what this ending is not necessarily that Michael Myers himself is going to come back and get, um, Lori specifically, but that he is, you know, still out there. And the fact that Lori herself is extremely traumatized by this event, like she is yeah. sobbing at the end of this movie and uh, rightfully so, um, just how clearly affected and changed and, um, disturbed she is by the entire event. Like that is going to stay with her. She changed like completely psychologically, emotionally because of this event. But I think, you know, if you're also talking about the idea that you just brought up of just pure fear, the fact that he doesn't go away is just the ultimate truth. Like everyone is afraid of something, no yeah. matter what you do, you know, that element of fear is always going to be there. Right. Yeah. And I, and other film series like Friday the 13th, and all of those, they were, they just come back to be like, well, we know we're going to make more and it's just going to be like, we're just going to kill random teens. But like Halloween really wanted to tap into what scared us because, you know, before this, like the exorcist was like, was a few years before this. Mm -hmm. And that was a big blockbuster. And that movie scared people. Like that was, that's quoted to be the scariest movie of all time. And one that, deeply affected people had people running out of the theater and like vomiting and fainting and all of that. So like, 
and that that one had like more religious themes tied to it. But yeah. Carpenter really wanted to get to the bottom of what makes us afraid and what are how can our deepest fears come to life and be shown on screen? And you obviously have to have a physical embodiment of that. And Michael Myers is not necessarily, well, I guess technically is a serial killer, but like just a random guy, mm-hmm. a, cra- a crazy guy who happened to get out in the worst possible scenario. And our, that's where we find our characters. Um, and again, like we've said before, it just feels so real. Yeah. And you... It, in real in a sense that it's plausible, you know, like everything that happens in the movie, it, it adds up like pretty well, you know? Um, and, and again, I think that it just, because of how it sets you on edge throughout the entire movie, like, I don't think like there have been people who have said like, okay, Michael Myers is a ghost and it's like this supernatural thing. It's like, I wouldn't, maybe later he becomes that, but in this movie, yeah. that's not who I thought. Like, What's great are the fact that they pull off the mask at the end of the movie is he's just a guy. Like yeah. that's what I that's why I always loved him is that he's just a dude. Like that's that's it. He's not some supernatural force. He's just I th- I took it more metaphorically than just complete literally. Well, the thing is, is you know there wasn't supposed to be at least I don't think this giant reveal of like oh it's you know really like a demon or something like that. It's just a guy the movie itself is very literal mm-hmm. yeah and uh the like you could try and think about the logistics of him uh you know taking the tombstone up mm-hmm. to the room and putting everyone in their place to be like okay if she hits the door at just the right time then that's when Bob is going to like fall down. And like it logistically, it obviously doesn't make sense, but the whole point of that sequence is that he has encapsulated her. He has found Mm -hmm. her. And from that moment on, you know, she's in, you know, she's in denial for most of the movie. She thinks her eyes are playing tricks on her. She doesn't believe that this person's out there. Like in that moment, he has, you know, totally got control over her Um, in, you know, reasonably speaking. Um, but the movie's done in such a way where if she was just solo for the entire movie, she would have been right in what she was thinking. But because of her two idiot friends that are just <laughs> like, you're making it up, you know, he's not really behind the bushes, you know, that kind of thing. She's inclined to believe as her character, just like, ah, well, I don't know. I must just be crazy. Yeah, mm-hmm. exactly. And which, which make, makes sense. You know, um, and so, so I always took it to be about, yeah, about being scared, um, and fear itself taking over you. Like what, what were some themes or what is your like takeaway from the movie? Um, I mean the biggest theme and we already touched on it a little bit is that idea of the final girl, because before this movie, you didn't really see a lot of that. It was kind of. Like, you focus on your main character, like in The Exorcist, you know, you have the girl who's possessed and you're going through the story of, like, her family attempting to perform this exorcism and rid her of that demon. But, you know, you you start with an established cast of multiple people and slowly, one by one, you watch them disappear until it gets to the girl who wasn't quite as slutty or wasn't quite as stupid as the other ones that is capable enough to be able to say, okay, here's what I have to do. And here's where I'm going to go in order to get myself out of this situation. 
Yeah, absolutely. And uh, excuse me. Sorry, I need some water really quick. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that's aged really well about the movie just because of how uh, how that trope still continues on mm-hmm. in film. Uh, like it's obviously, especially in, in horror, we've veered away from it a little bit because it's gotten to the point where you can kind of see it coming. But yeah. it started here. And I, I love to see it, that the fact that it started here because again, it's not like... It's not like a moment where you're just like, well, obviously, okay, there's the final girl, so she's going to live. That's not really the mm-hmm. point. You know, the the point is we think she's still in danger. And even if we know that she's going to make it out, which, I mean, obviously there's sequels. We know that she's going to make it out alive. Um, she, um, it's the fact that there are so many other elements like under the surface that make yeah. it scary, you know? You don't necessarily, it doesn't necessarily have to be, oh, we don't know if this person's going to live or die or not to make it scary. You know, it's still the feeling of being chased and being caught and being found. And um, And she doesn't come out of it unscathed either. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, she's obviously hurt. um, But, you know, again, psychologically, she is messed up like very clearly. And they go into that very, very briefly in the excuse me 2018 halloween movie um but mm-hmm. which again is takes place you know 40 years after the events of the first film um which they had a lot of ways to go into it but they just didn't but that's a whole other podcast <laughs> um and yeah I, I think that that in and of itself is a way better ending than just having Laurie Strode killed. And like, it would have been an interesting ending if they had Laurie Strode killed and Michael like is set free and he's still like out there. Like that Mm would have been interesting, but having your final girl be so clearly psychologically damaged because of it, like any other horror movie or like modern director would have been like, you know, have, uh, have Lori come back in this badass way and and be like, you know, blow Michael Myers' head off and be like, trick or treat, bitch, or something like that. Yeah. I don't know. Um, but the fact that she is so clearly um, broken is a mm-hmm. really, really good arc for her. Um, and it's, yeah. I mean, it's it's disturbing. Like when you when I was watching, I was like, damn, it's like it's a tough beat, you know. Yeah, I mean, to, to have to live with that. And then knowing as a, a viewer being like, oh man, she's going to have to relive this trauma again. Yeah. You know, like it's just, it's just going to keep happening for her. Yeah, it's it's never going to end. Um, all right, let's round this whole thing out and answer the big burning question. How does this movie um, add or capture the Halloween spirit and just you know, scratch that itch for you in a holiday movie. I mean, both in a literal and metaphorical sense, this movie is Halloween. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like I said earlier, it's when we get to certain time of the year, you know, like mid to late October, I'm like, all right, it's that time. I'm going to sit down. It's getting cold outside. And I'm just going to watch Halloween to sort of get myself in the spirit of the holiday. If I didn't have this and if I didn't watch it, I don't know if I would be 
as enthusiastic because to me, like I said, it is that starting mark of being like, okay, we're in the holiday. We're ready to go. Like, let's get this cracking. Yeah. And I mentioned, I've mentioned The Shining and Scream before, but like The Shining is a very eerie, very creepy movie. It's a different Mm -hmm. kind of atmosphere. Scream has some good scares, but is overall a really fucking fun time. And it's funny. Um, But Halloween just really, really scares me because of how, again, the way that the camera works, you always feel like something is coming and something is around you. And like the fact that it's in this suburban area, like I know, you know, we all know neighborhoods that look exactly like that. We've been there, we've been trick-or-treating and Mm -hmm. it's just this unwanted presence that's not even paranormal. Like they could have very easily, like I, I think, again, a lot of people take it you know, take the ending to be that it, that he's paranormal and that he's going to continually come back to life. But I personally don't see it that way. I don't think it's that literal. Um, and the fact that it's just this one random guy. And that's the thing is you, the thing about Halloween is that, yeah, you don't know who is who under the mask and who's mm-hmm. the real threat and who is like right behind you. Like, and just that's the tone and the atmosphere of the season that I just crave. And yeah. I and Halloween is just like one that I mean, it's one of my favorite horror movies because of that. And but it, it also is thrilling. Like it's a fun time. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously I'm gonna come out of the movie unscathed, but like it's it's just a blast. And yeah. I've always loved Halloween because of how fun it is. Uh I and, think yeah, go ahead. One of the things is like cause you mentioned the shining, which don't get me wrong, I adore the shining. I oh, love yeah. Jack Nicholson and the thing is, like, Stanley Kubrick, that movie is just, you're watching a man slowly descend into madness. You know, you're you're with him the whole time. You're like, you understand. There's a backstory. But I think the thing that really kicks off Halloween with Halloween is that it's built on the basic foundations of the holiday, which is, I'm going to go into a haunted house and I want to be scared. I want to you know, jump. I want to get my heart going. I want to be on edge. And if I can get that from my couch, better off that way. Yeah. (laughs) But even still, like you're watching it at home and you're just like, uh, and then later you're like, well, I better turn the lights on, you know, before I go to, before I go to bed. It like, it never ceases to just creep me out. And again, if, if, you haven't, once movie theaters, once it's safe to go back to a movie theater, I hope that anyone who has not seen it in a theater can get the chance to do so because it is a wonderful wonderful experience that is just it's unmatched halloween's one of the best and thank you so much again for joining me on this wonderful special anytime that does it for this episode of frankly i love movies huge thank you to lexi for coming on as always. If you'd like more Frankly I Love Movies content, please go follow us on social media, on Twitter at Frankly Podcast, and on Facebook at Frankly I Love Movies. And you can follow me on Instagram at joshbelljosh21 for all new and exciting updates on what's going on in my life. Frankly I Love Movies is part of the Orion Valley Productions Podcast Network, where you can listen to other podcasts such as Ravnik Avengers, our real play D&D podcast. We are currently running a one-shot Halloween D&D campaign that myself, Joanna Lagurfo, Sullivan Harris, Austin Burchard, and Aaron Page 
we're on, it's four hours of total awesome Halloween spooky fun that you definitely do not want to miss. You can also check out our weekly Attack on Titan podcast, Tea Time with Titans, with Ben Mannix, Brian Taborny, and Sullivan Harris. They're coming out with new episodes every single Wednesday. It's great stuff. Definitely want to check it out. And you won't have to wait long for a brand new episode. On November 3rd, we kick off the Thanksgiving portion of Hollow Thanksmas. Matt Simmons is coming back on the show to tear into Al Pacino's Oscar-winning performance of Lieutenant Colonel Frank Slade in Scent of a Woman. You're definitely not going to want to miss that. There's a lot of Pacino impressions in there. It is bonkers. We hope you have a wonderful, spooky holiday. I'm Josh Wall, and frankly, I love movies. Thank you.